Hello and welcome to our as yet unnamed Antifada interview series. From looking at the listener survey, it seems there is a demand for standalone segments. So we are going to provide them starting right now. For my first contribution to this series, I revisited my former life as a music journalist and interviewed the amazing and badass Anna Berry, a.k.a. Nora Singh, a.k.a. the Gallagher of Noise Rock, singer of the L.A. band Hit Bargain, about punk rock, radical feminism, standing on dudes' faces, and the enduring influence of the Situationist International. Enjoy! Barry, aka Nora Singh. Uh, how, how are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I'm doing fine. And yourself? Oh, I'm alright. I'm here in a beach house on beautiful Fire Island with Sean and my friends. And beautiful weather outside, birds are chirping. Uh, I gotta say my hate is on uh, some pretty low, like, like the gas light is on right now on my oh, meter. so not even like a low simmer, it's just... It's just the pilot. The pilot is on. Yeah. I mean, it's never, so, like, it just, never goes off completely. Yeah. But it's, like... But it's there, and it's ready to ignite at a moment's notice. Exactly. So, wow. You've come a long way since we met back in uh, 2008. Holy shit. I was just thinking about that today, and I did the math, and I'm like, that was 10 years ago. Yeah. I've clocked some miles. I think you have as well. Yeah, so. totally. Um Oh, just for people who don't know, which is probably most of them, um, Anna and I first met uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, at a DIY space called Rad 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 House, and it was such a good show that night. It was her old band, These Are Powers, as well as, I think that the Death Set played, I remember that, because <laughs> the singer Johnny Sierra, like, broke a rib, because he tried to oh. climb up, uh, tried to climb, like, some window, uh, what, what you would call it, like the the window treatment. I don't know. He tried to climb some like some something sticking out of the wall and fell and broke his ribs. Who else during played the sh- during the show? Yeah, and it was like a yeah. normal sized living room in somebody's house. Yeah, this is part for the court. I feel like he spent most of those years just like sort of like beat up, like from self imposed injuries. 
Um, yeah, I remember him just like lying there with a frozen pack of peas on his ribs afterwards. <laughs> then that's how you know it's a good show. So yeah, that was some like Death Race 2000, like everybody headed to South by Southwest spring break sort of spring break audience shit yeah oh my god who else played that night was it team robespierre i feel like it was maybe them wow you're you're going deep here <laughs> i don't remember or that was it somebody else i don't know yeah i'm sure i can i can check the records because <clears throat> i kept very detailed records back in those years nice nice i don't think it was that year that our van broke down on the way to austin it might have been the following year mm. like after after we had paid it off like with that van basically like pat our bass player found it online um and we went down to nashville and we bought it off of like a country singer we had to go to um the recording studio where they were tracking like all these songs and it was just like amazing because they go through like they went through like 15 songs and they just like punch in the back the back the backing singers so they'd be like, all right, now we're going to do this one. And, the, and like, the backing singers would be like, go. Oh. And they're like, okay, now how about this one? And they're like, yeah. And then, <laughs> so we had, like, sat through this, like, super speed session, this, like, country song. And then, like, she signed. And then we went to her place, and she signed over the van to us. And then we drove it to, I think, Missouri and had it converted to run on vegetable oil. Nice. And then drove it back to Brooklyn. We might have toured back. I don't remember. But long story short, like, I think it was the following year after we had like finally paid off this van. We were doing all these tours, trying to run it on veggie oil, and it was like stalling out in like the middle of like rush hour in like DC and Atlanta and all these places. And uh, and then it just like died on the way to Austin. We had to leave it for dead somewhere with some like I don't know Bible thumping people in the middle of nowhere and uh, get a U-Haul and like drive straight to Austin. I had to skip New Orleans. I've never been to New Orleans. Oh. Um, yeah, that was that was gonna be my chance, <laughs> my one chance. Oh, you'll get there someday. New Orleans yeah. is great. Yeah, it's so cool. It's on, it's on the list. Nice. Well, I got to meet that van. I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah. That night, because uh, after the show, or no, before the show, I think I went in the van and interviewed you guys in it for Impose. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what happened to a lot of that video footage. Like, it was supposed to be for some like. DVD that would be like free with purchase at American Apparel, but about right. <laughs> like the shit with American Apparel got so like so fucked up. Like I don't even want to go into it right now because this interview isn't about that. It's about you and your work. But uh, suffice it to say that was a shit show. Yeah, we should talk about that after this interview. <laughs> for sure, for sure. But like, man, I just remember. I was so excited to go on this tour and to see, like, it was such a good time for music. Uh, and like, I was really, I just graduated college back then. Like, I guess this was 2008, it was 10 years ago. So I was like 22, 23. I think I turned 23 on that tour. I can't do math, but yeah. And my ex-boyfriend, uh, my recent ex-boyfriend at the time, who shall remain nameless, uh, invited me to go on this tour and be sort of the uh, blogger on the tour because he was doing video stuff. They were doing video stuff with the uh, American Apparel Viva Radio guys, and they wanted someone to do updates on the site. And um, I was still, like, pretty fucking heartbroken over that breakup. And part of me was like, what the fuck are you thinking? But then I had, I had to do it because, like, and like I remember, I remember that you told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure I did. 
Oh man, that's like, that's still kind of how I make friends with people. Although I'm like a lot, um, I, I really put a lid on it since then, but like back in the day, Jamie was a just lot of, like, a lot of like self-disclosure. Welcome like to me. Like, I'm going to talk about you. Like we're, I'm going to talk to you. Like we're already friends and yeah. if you're cool with that. I, then we are. I, I think so. I think it's a nice disarming approach. So, well, thank you. It's not, a, I mean, it's not like it's, well, it's also sincere. It's not like you're premeditated. Like, yeah. all right, what what topic should I cover? Oh man, with this person, <laughs> what should I what should I tell this person about me? Like right off the bat, like right now, right now. Oh man, I was. They were just like all on the surface, man. I was having so many feelings all the time, and then I yeah. saw you, and I think I was like, friend. Yeah, touring touring will will do that to you. Like, it's a it's it's a weird thing. It's like you're. You're constantly in motion, but you're sitting still. You wake up in one place and you go to sleep in another. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially if you're performing, like, you're just kind of, like, sitting around and farting into, like, a van seat until, like, 30 minutes that you get to, like, explode on stage and, and do something. So it's, like, you know, it, it's it's crazy-making. And then yeah. if you throw, you know, uh, alcohol and people's personal insecurities and uh, other substances into the mix and it's it's a fun it's the recipe volatile cocktail it's a recipe for healthy behavior is that it's where you're going with that success exactly it's it's yeah oh man but yeah i had to do it because it was like a really cool project you get to like go in a van and like go yeah. see awesome shows and bands and like go to south by and back for free i mean it I was a good time people were like totally jaded on it yeah just, yeah and I you didn't know, get paid and, and like, any the, of the it. thing that you're talking about with like American Apparel Radio, and it's just, it's like, we knew that this was like, corp, like, corporations trying to cash in on, on cool subcultures, but you know, it's like, well, we all, it's like, yeah, it's like at that time, it's like, yeah, you play and then you get free Levi's or you play and you get free Converse or whatever, and people are just like, whatever, like, I need a new pair of pants or I need some shoes or yes i will drink that free beer because mm-hmm. it's broke like looking back on it it really just occurred to me that i didn't get paid for this thing like the way i not. thought about yeah. it was like oh i'm going on a free trip it's gonna be awesome but like yeah, i was just... also working like pretty fucking hard and like nope. in this like yeah. kind of indentured servitude and like i i didn't even think about it like that Oh, but you got exposure. I did. I did. I did. I got valuable <laughs> work experience, exposure. I got. Um, there you go. I got practice, yes. like uh, existing in the same space as somebody who hurt my feelings and being okay with that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So anyway, yeah, it was a great time for music. Uh, everything was like really experimental and noisy and weird and fun. Um, I saw so many good bands on that tour, including uh, Health, No Age, Death Set, Double Dagger. Uh, Dan Deacon, like basically everyone out of Baltimore at that point in time was awesome. Ponytail, Ecstatic Sunshine, all those fucking weirdos. And of course, these are powers. And it was really exciting for me to see a band that was doing all of that interesting, noisy shit and fronted by a woman, that woman being you. Well, thanks. We had a good time. We had a good run. It's seven years. That's awesome. So, that's not nothing. It's the, and that was my second band. So the band prior to that, the only tour that we did i've got some good tour stories from but um yeah that band broke up and out of the ashes of that band and, and pat's band prior to that um came these are powers so it was it was just 
it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen at that point in time. I was just like, but also I just like the, the confluence of like where everybody was at in Brooklyn too. It's like, we were all about the same age. We're all, you know, trying to make cool things happen. And, you know, Brooklyn had a little bit more of this sort of like lawlessness feeling, you know, yeah. more, more open spaces. Oh my God. Garbage. More, beach. more illicit things that could happen. Like, you know, on the waterfront or yeah. on a yeah. rooftop or whatever. So. It did. It felt wild and free. Like, not yep. to do that thing that, like, jaded old New Yorkers do where they're, like, looking back to some, like, imagined golden age in the past. But, like, this wasn't that long ago. And it was fucking cool. And you know what? I'm sure that somewhere in New York, people who are younger than us are doing shit that's just as cool and interesting now, and we just don't know about it. Or yeah, maybe not. That's absolutely, that's absolutely, you know, it's it's... They found they found their own pocket of lawlessness or whatever. But I, I feel like it's, I mean, just um, viewing it from afar it definitely seems like it's migrated north. So it seems like there's there's like a little bit of a scene in Hudson now. Oh yeah, I love going up to Hudson actually. Basilica Soundscape is a consistently great music festival, and yeah. as well as the 24-hour uh, drone concert that happens every year. Nice. It's so good. If you are ever in New York. Uh, when that thing happens, you got to come with me. It's so awesome. I would love to. Hell yeah. We weren't, we weren't there nearly long enough last time we were there. Man. So um, on the topic of the music scene in 2008, like, I feel like it was a real interesting departure from that sort of retro bro rock thing that was kind of an outgrowth of like post 9-11 conservatism. Like, so like fucking, the St Stokes and yeah, some, like, I don't know. Was the national around that same time? That sort of thing, right? Yeah, and like either it was like boring indie rock made by dudes, or it was like a different kind of boring indie rock made by dudes, where it's like sort of that like garage rock or glam rock revival, and like it had a layer of irony around it. But I never really felt like I was in on the joke, you know? Like you're a band full of dudes, you've got this really commodified picture of like a woman's body on the cover of your album, and I'm like being a bitch or whatever if I don't find it interesting or cool. Like, give me a break. Well, yeah, I didn't really understand the appeal. I had a friend at the time who was super into that, and I just I didn't get it. You know, it seemed it seems almost kind of like K-pop to me now. <laughs> like in a way, like looking back on it, like there's nothing really like tough or like badass about it. Like it's just like sort of these like quaffed pretty people with not really any real concerns in their lives you know it's like one guy's dad owns like a modeling agency you know and it's just like seems yeah. like they had a lot of disposable time and income to make art which is like great for them you know yeah like it doesn't it doesn't take away from anything that i do like it's fine you know it's like they did they did well yeah um, but even like even pat's band before these are powers like liars was also referencing like New York no wave so it's like you had liars and then you had like um the rapture and, and people like this like referencing like DNA and like liquid liquid and um you know and like liars even got in trouble for like ripping off ESG and not giving them any money oh damn you know? yeah I did not know that yeah so I think it, it all got rectified mm. in the end but um yeah what what a shitty thing to do <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> Wow, you're talking yeah. about bands whose music I really like. Uh, 
I'm also thinking about like kind of that like pizza party punk like garage rock scene like the black lips or whatever yeah. or like people who made it like really glam and commercial like the eagles of death metal death from above oh yeah Man. that sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah like, just, it wasn't just it wasn't just brooklyn though i mean like everybody in brooklyn liked to think that it was brooklyn like brooklyn did you know like living in new york you at that time like feel like you're like the epicenter of the world or whatever um but it wasn't just in brooklyn where people were were doing things you know and that's that's the beauty of going on tour it's like connecting all the dots but also i feel like in san diego at the time like the 31g stuff that was coming out too you know they were just these these pockets um the the press at that time was just focused on brooklyn yeah oh yeah so it's easy to make it seem like you know some things never change that's right there's an epicenter yeah Yeah. the new york times i find find that to be i still find that to be true i find it difficult to more difficult to be in a band in los angeles than in new york as far as grabbing the attention of the press like it just doesn't exist here in the same way as it does in new york which is like obviously like there's more press in general based you know like new york is still over los angeles like the more literary town you know and tradition of like newspapers and things like that like so i just it's not it's not the same here you know um and it, it is what it is i'm not saying that it's better or it's worse or whatever it's just um you know like at that time in new york it was just like i definitely found it annoying you know it's just like that was the start of everybody pulling out their fucking phone at a show but then it was like everybody at the front row with somebody with like a little blog or you know was gonna post to like their Flickr account or whatever like pre-instagram you know yeah on their myspace that sort of thing yeah so that was it was just like a lot more like people taking photos and yeah. sending them to like brooklyn vegan or whatever um and that's just that's not it's not really as much the culture here like people take photos and shows and put them on but it's not it's not to the degree that it is in new york i don't feel like it is no that's interesting um i'm gonna definitely ask you some more questions about los angeles because i'm curious about that but um one thing i wanted to keep touching on was uh it's kind of a weird time to be a woman in uh the new york indie alt scene or whatever uh i imagine an even weirder time to be a woman of color or not weird necessarily because it was like that for you know most of history but uh i i always really admired that you could be like cool and angry and raw and but also like funny and ironic in your work like at turns or all at the same time and that's not really something women uh particularly women of color have always been allowed to do in indie or mainstream culture right like you're supposed to be this like cool, sexy bass player or like the front man's girlfriend or whatever. Um, I don't know if people know this, but um, Asian women in particular have often been fetishized by the uh, straight white cis men of the indie rock scene. And, uh, <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, especially at that time, the 90s and, and, you know. The whole thing. Like, the early uh, 2000s, mid 2000s. Yeah, it's uh, just part for the course. I got that a lot more in my first band because there was another there, there was another Asian woman in a band, and we were called Knife Skills. So it was just like a Chinese American woman and you know a Southeast Asian American woman, and they have a band called Knife Skills. And it would just it's like you could just see like people's minds just being blown. And it was just like no Knife Skills as in culinary, as in like 
I wanted to go to cooking school, but I didn't want to fork out 14 grand, you know, which is essentially like a down payment on a restaurant, like those kind of knife skills, not like <laughs> knife skills. We're Asian, so therefore we're ninjas, you know, and it was just, and it, and it was pretty much like every interview was just like, um, uh, so what's it like having a vagina and, and making music? Like, how do you do it? Like, you know, like and, and, and how does that work? Like, he's got a vagina and you have a vagina and like, do you ever think about that? Like, while you're playing music, like, how do you even play music having vaginas? Like, how does that work? Is it okay? And then like, what happens if you both get your periods at the same time? Like, do you just have to cancel everything? You know, or it's just, <laughs> yeah. 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 And like that, I mean, I heard a lot of, uh, my, uh, mentors and particularly my women mentors talk about how you should never ask people those kinds of questions. And that was a little confusing to me at the time because as someone who like wants to talk about gender and like feels it as very much a factor in my own life. And I was like, oh, does that mean I shouldn't talk about it? But then I was like, no, it just means I shouldn't be dumb about it, you know? Like, how I do don't you- know. I mean, it's like, it's, n- it's not that people, I don't, you don't have to get permission from anybody to do the things that you do, you know? And so it's just, it's, you know, you're asking me to sort of like, simultaneously like view myself as an other and then also talk about my experiences as an other you know what I mean when it's like I only know I can only speak from my experience and so from my experiences like yeah racism is a real thing I grew up in Texas you know my mother is an immigrant um if I got tan in the summer then people would speak Spanish to me you know like or they would ask me to come to their Bible study group and tell me, you know, try to comp, like give me backhand compliments, tell me that my English was really good. And then like, try to save my soul, you know? And mm-hmm. then it's just, it's like, yeah. And then you get into music. And for me, it's like, you know, riot girl pretty much like saved my life in high school and punk and like anything that I could like mail order from the suburbs. And then, you know, you find, you find your, your other freaks or whatever at these shows. And yeah, it's, it's predominantly white with like a couple of tokens. And that's just, that's the bottom line. And it's just like, I didn't know that I could, it sounds really naive and dumb, but it's like, I didn't know that I could make music. Like I loved music, Like music definitely like saved my life. And I, it never occurred to me when I was younger that I could just go to like guitar center and get a guitar. Like that just, there was a disconnect there, you know, from like people making music and for me myself, like personally making music. Cause it's just like, my parents weren't artists, you know, like that. You know? Yeah. Just yeah. like access. It's the same as like weed. It's like, yeah. where, where do you get weed? You know, <laughs> at that time in the, in the nineties, like in Texas, it's just like, I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. how do you get, how do you get beer? Like, how do you get anything? You know, how do you get access to these things to try to like experiment or whatever? So yeah, I mean, definitely at that time that you're talking about, like in indie rock, it, you know, especially if you're like Asian, it seems like you you get to be either a bass player or a keyboard player. So yeah, those are those are your roles that you get to choose from. But it's just like that's not, you know, that's that's not. I, I don't think how people live their lives. Like you know, look and say like, okay, what is what is the thing that I can do because of my gender or my ethnicity? Yeah. Well, it was never going to be how you lived your life. I would say like man there was like so much pressure in those years too just like to be like a cool girl who could like hang with dudes and like 
I put up with so much shit that I should not have at that point in time when I was trying to like be a cool chick, write for Vice, you know, get a career going in gonzo journalism. And like, I wasted so much of my time trying to make men like me pretty much. And like, you, you didn't, you really never seemed to me to like play into that game too much. Like, how did you stand up against all that shit? I don't. I just feel like a guy. I think that's that's part of it. You know, it's like I don't always identify like, personally as like a woman or a female. Or it's I don't know. It's so it's kind of like nobody's gonna give you permission. I think that's ultimate. That's the point that I was trying to make. Nobody's gonna give you permission to do things. Like you have to give yourself permission. So I did. Like at 27, you know, which I feel like is sort of like being a late bloomer. But basically, I was like, oh, actually. I don't want to book bands. I don't want to write about bands. I don't want to like do publicity for bands. Like I want to be in the band and I want to go on tour. Like this is something that I can do. Like, and so I did, you know, and it's like, I had the support of, of, you know, my, my partner who was also in the band with me, who was older, who could sort of like show me the ropes, you know, who was like really knowledgeable and also somebody that like, I felt comfortable creating with, you know, somebody that's like really, creative so it was a, it was a good partnership for a while for sure and then i think and then it got to a point to where like i was like yeah actually i don't i don't want you to tell me what to do anymore you know or to like impose your world views on me <laughs> so i guess I, I grew up a little bit you know we all did like i said like seven years that's not nothing you know um but it, it seems like for a lot of bands it takes even longer you know, I mean, it, it depends on, like, whatever your version of success is. But if, you know, like in the case of, like, um, Flaming Lips or something, like, huge commercial success, it's like, well, they were grinding for, like, what, 20 years, you know? Yeah. Some drug addictions and all that good stuff. So. Yeah, it's been a long road, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. we were talking about L.A. for a minute. Um, you've, you've been there for a few years now. Um, I've been on since 2014. So I left... I left for a year and I went back to New York. I thought I was done. And I like froze, froze my ass off in my friend's like, basement in like windowless basement in like Bushwick and helped to open up um, another friend's bar. And so I was like working by myself until like 4 a.m. And, and uh, just having this sort of like weird, cold, lonely existence <laughs> in a basement. <laughs> and then also was sort of like flying or, or driving off and on to like the Midwest to sort of like see if I wanted to be with my current partner, um, but like reluctant to like move for them. Yeah. So, because uh, I had already done that um, internationally. Oh, uh, yes, um, your time in France. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone should have at least one French spouse, I guess. So. Yeah, hell yeah. It's like an exchange program. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, they yeah. get, uh, I don't know, they get a green card, and uh, you get to experience the food and the culture. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, a, it's one or the other. You have to choose. So I chose to go there. We started the process for them to move here, but things ended before then. We're actually still married. Um, and the funny, the funny thing about that is, uh, so my current partner cannot be on the birth certificate of our child because in the eyes of California law, I still belong to the marriage that I'm currently in. So if it was the other way around, if I was a man and I had a child with someone out of wedlock, then my name could go on the birth certificate. But 
since I'm a woman and I'm property of of my current marriage, then the child is sort of in this like legal limbo. Weird. It's a it's a point of contention for sure, or it was a point of contention between my current partner and the hospital official, <laughs> the record the record keeper. Um, wow. It it's not in her control. It's like a very old old law. Yeah, which is Damn. just like really strange. Yeah. I mean, I'm so not. Pretty- I'm not like a bioessentialist, but you would think that you would put the names of the biological parents on the birth certificate. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we'll have to go through a process very similar to like what our queer friends have to do where like, you know, I mean, like he can prove paternity, but then I think there might have to be like an adoption. I'm not sure. I don't know. Weird. It's, it sounds just like it's paperwork ultimately. So adopting your own child. That's so weird. So um, yeah, uh, why did you decide to move to LA? Um, and like, what's it, what's it been like for you to be an artist there as opposed to in other places? In other places. Um, so I lived in New York for 11 years. Um, and then I married, um, my old band's tour manager and I went to France for three. Um, the marriage ultimately ended, but I stayed for the food and started cooking semi-professionally. And then, uh, I just got homesick. I got homesick for this idea of America. Um, and it wasn't, I don't know. At first I was happy to be in France because it just, there was, Occupy was happening. It seemed like shit was definitely going to hit the fan. Um, which, you know, like, was hoping that it would. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, France elected Hollande. So, like, I was there for, like, a socialist election, which was, like, really cool. Um, and, and educating. Yeah. What was that uh, like? You know, it was like six part, six parties were in the ballot. So that, that was like the first time that I ever saw anything like that. And then, uh, you know, and then Oland is elected and people are saying like, yeah, he's not that liberal actually. He was like a centrist socialist. Yeah. Um, it was interesting for sure. So I, I, but just for me, like culturally, I, I didn't feel like, France was a fit for me. Um, yeah, I mean, the quality of life was awesome. You know, 34-hour work week. Uh, I definitely, like, always had money, you know. Um, being able to see a doctor whenever I wanted or get most things at the pharmacy, you know. Eat amazing food, meet amazing people, some of whom are still, like, really good friends of mine uh, now. But I, it was just... I don't know how to explain it really. Just, um, I guess the pressure to conform just felt really high for me there. And uh, I found it difficult. And I was very much alone, uh, even though I had some friends, but you know, no, no family or anything like that. And um, yeah, I just wanted to try something new. And I started talking to uh, someone that I knew from Brooklyn online. And just basically like, he hit me up on Facebook to commiserate about his French ex. So <laughs> it was like another ex New Yorker that I knew actually, um, John, John from big a little a, um, <laughs> hit me up. And so we started commiserating about our French exes. And then he was like, Hey, actually I have a room open in my house in Echo park. If you want to like come to LA. Um, so that was like part of his ploy to get more New Yorkers out to LA. Nice. So yeah, I, I tried it. I did LA for the first two years without a car because, uh, you know, after living in like New York and then and 
Paris and all over France. And I was like, I don't need a car, you know, 15 years without a car. Uh, and it's possible, it's possible to live in LA without a car, but it's not easy. So you just kind of have to factor in extra commute time. It's basically like eight minutes by car or 45 minutes by bus, you know. Or it's like two minutes by subway, but you're walking like 30 minutes each way. Yeah. Walking is yeah. probably my least favorite way to get from one place to another, fun fact. <laughs> After like boats, trains, cars, bikes, roller skates, everything. Yeah. It's just so slow. I don't, I don't mind it if there's buildings and people to look at or other scenery, but if you're just crossing like a vast parking lot, um, then I would also pass. Yeah, fair so, enough, fair enough. So, yeah. so in LA, you started a great band, your current band, Hit Bargain. That's Hit Bargain, folks, check them out. Uh, and produced some pretty interesting music with them. Um, and you, you've said it's like a pro, it's a product of the LA scene, but also like a bit of a critique. Um, what, what do you mean by that? It's sort of an homage to like Black Flag and you know, other like SoCal punk bands. Um, I don't know if it's ne if it's necessarily a critique if I've ever said that. It's, uh, you know, we've been compared to Alice Bag as well, which uh, is nice. Um, so I don't know. It's a uh, it's the most straight up sort of like punk bands that I've ever been in. Um, it's a it's a performative hardcore band or a queencore band is is what we say. So. I do a lot of physical comedy on stage. Yeah, like I really like how there's always some like performance art element to it in addition yeah. to the really good punk music. Um, I like I like props. I like to say that I'm the Gallagher of noise rock. So it's a uh, in some ways it, it's sort of like a throwback musically, but it's still weird. It's still us. So it's not like it's ever like punk by numbers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'll be sure to bring my raincoat the next time I see you play. <laughs> I mean, there have been fluids. Like, it wasn't watermelon juice, but, like, definitely the time that I saw you get a tattoo on stage at oh, uh, yeah, the true. show with a glove yeah. was definitely, like, it, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't unfluidy. Yeah, that's true. And then, um, just pumping breast milk this last time in Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a good, like, running theme. It's something for everyone. So, I, I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the process of uh, thinking about the next album. We're writing new songs, um, just trying to think about like where we want to take it next. So this, this last album is called Potential Maximizer, and we're working with these sort of like TED Talk themes, this idea of like a Tony Robbins sort of character where you can like maximize your potential um, you know, by buying into our system, by buying our, our music you know, just music as products and just like the futility of that. Uh, we're named for um, a defunct 99 cent store in Echo Park, actually. So, Oh, uh, it's not, it's defunct now? I remember seeing it last time yeah, I was in LA driving yeah. around and being like, yeah. oh, that's where they got the name Hit Bargain. Yeah, it's, um, they did a map. Uh, somebody drew a map of, of like all these businesses that no longer exist in Echo Park um, as part of like uh, an Echo Park rising uh, parody. Uh, Echo Park Rising is a is like a little festival that happens in the neighborhood um, every year. That's uh, I think it's sponsored by the Echo, which is like a venue. 
a big venue and there's just bands playing everywhere. It's like a mini South by Southwest, but just concentrated in the neighborhood. Um, but you know, this, this neighborhood historically has like pushed out like a lot of, of people, um, mostly like in the past five to 10 years. Uh, so like, as far as like being a center of, of gentrification, like that's pretty much a real thing. So pour one out for hit bargain. The we'll live on. Yeah. Not the fan. Well, I remember the last time I was in LA, which is, I just looked this up. I'm like, this is really two years ago already. Damn. Uh, yeah. We saw you guys play at a bowling alley in Eagle Rock. And uh, I actually got to participate along with some other women and help you uh, trample this guy on stage. And the whole thing, it just, it, it felt a, a lot like coming home, I gotta say. <laughs> I was in a weird, like a, an unfamiliar location. It looked like a strip mall, and then yeah. I got inside, and I was like, "Oh yes, this is very familiar to me." And yet, I, I had never actually trampled a man before, so I'm not really sure why I felt like that. You took you took to it like a duck to water. It's really <laughs> natural. Yeah, that's that's LA in a nutshell too. It's like strip mall, so it's just like the anywhere you want to go or eat is probably like in a strip mall. It was um, an interesting contrast for sure. And I liked, uh, God, I liked everything about that show. It was really fun. <laughs> that was a good one. But I've, I've seen, and like you really uh, gave him the what for. Like we were not experienced tramplers, but uh, I assume that you had practiced with this guy beforehand because you were just doing just some a moves. little bit. I think that was the first show that we've done that we did with him, and we did a few more. Um, we did one opening up for L7, which was like really great. So that that was a pretty proud moment, I think, in the history of the band to like you know, entertain the women of L7. Hell yeah. With our, with our antics, so. Yeah. Were they into it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, they asked yeah. you to play, so I'm assuming they were. Actually, yeah. and, their, and their fans are, like, really sweet, too. So I like I like playing for people that have never seen us before that aren't expecting us. That's probably, like, those are my favorite people to play for. I mean, I like playing for our friends and, and people that are, you know, fans as well, but I like, I like it when people come up afterwards and they're like, I what's the name of your band? Like, I wasn't expecting to see this. Like, what just happened? Like, how do I see you again? <laughs> you know? What was that? Like, who are you? So, <laughs> That's I, awesome. Little, yeah, I feel like my job's done. Fuck yeah. I'm only just now starting to experience that myself after years of uh, writing about interesting performers. I think now podcasts count as a performance, more yeah, or for less. Sure. And it's a whole new thing. And, you know, I always wanted to be in a, I mean, I was in a few bands a long time ago. Uh, we never, nothing ever really stuck. I don't think I was a super talented musician, but I've always nurtured this, like, secret desire to be in a band again. And now, like, it's kind of, it's kind of adjacent. I'm rocking the mic. Nice. I think if you do anything consistently, then there's a reward, there's a payoff, you know? So even if you're like a shitty musician and you have a shitty band, like you'll get consistently maybe like the same amount of people at every show. <laughs> yeah. Maybe more. Yeah. Well, so. you guys are growing like crazy. Uh, opening for L7, super fucking awesome. Um, and the new, uh, it's a it's your debut full length, right? Potential maximum. Yeah, number. yeah, it's our full length. But here's the thing, like I, and, and this is kind of what I was saying earlier, like. Yeah, there's a scene here, but it feels 
it's a uh, it's a little bit more disjointed in a way. I mean, there's there's things happening. Um, there's probably like pockets and like all kinds of cool stuff that's happening at night when I'm asleep. But <laughs> I mean, I guess also happening in Brooklyn. But yeah, the DIY spaces are have been shut down. It's not really a central. I mean, the smell is still kicking. There's not really any kind of like central spot. We're playing. The next show that we're playing actually is at a place downtown called Rec Center, and it's on a um, sort of like a warehouse loft situation. And there's a like all these auto body shops lining the street. Um, I've done a couple of shows there. I did like a country covers band um, there with uh, my bass player, who has like another sort of like queer country project that's like really amazing. And so there were like hay bales and like this cute little weird punk country cover show happening. Um, and then, like, across the street, there was, like, two different parties with, like, really slamming music and, like, people in, like, fancy cars and things like that. So, and then we had our record release show there, too. And so we had, like, a, a kiddie pool full of, like, soy milk that, like, somebody in the audience was, like, whip, whipping around and there was, like, a person swimming around in it. You know, I was, like, pumping milk on stage, like, trying to keep the theme going for a little while. So Nice. Yeah. As one does. Yeah, I have a current fantasy to actually, like, have a more, like, renegade shows and, like, laundromats and that sort of thing. So, like, or get a generator or, like, set up and play in front of another band while they're, like, setting up and trying to play a show. <laughs> Not, like, out of a, like, as a malicious sort of, just funny, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's very situationist of you. Yeah, anything I do is just, it's, like, kind of bratty. It's not, it's not malicious. It's just like taking the piss, just like thumbing my nose. It's just like, well, why? Why do we have to do it that way? Like, who says? It's not the prescribed demure Asian woman in rock role that I've been given. So I just, I'm not very good at keyboard. You know, there, there weren't that many Asian woman Gallagher's before you came <laughs> on the North Rock scene. So like, I think you're really doing it. You're doing your part for like representation for I'm young doing people it for America. Yeah. So cool. wow. Um, let's get political, shall we? Let's get as lyrical. If, as if we haven't been already. Um, in our last interview, which was apparently two years ago already, um, talking about Hit Bargain, you said Hit Bargain is simultaneously exploratory and nostalgic. It uses an accessible and recognizable hardcore rock style format as an interface for renewed situational performance. Um, you want to explain a little bit about what situational performance or situationism is or was or continues to be and how your work uh, fits into that tradition? Um, I should also have like a caveat because I know there's going to be some like purist uh, situationist nerds in our audience saying like, well, actually, it's this. So like, what what is it to you? Um, well, that's a good question. So. Situationist movement was uh, something that happened in Europe. It was a movement um, from like the late 50s to early 70s. Um, and it was just a way of conveying these political messages um, through like art and, and actions. Uh, like the Fluxus movement grew out of this. Um, so you know, like abstract forms of like countercultural ex expressionism is is what it means to me. Um, with a with a leftist bent, you know, it's something that's simultaneously like in your face but playful. Um, so you know, like a visual representation of like 
flipping like a gender role or something like that. So like me and some other women, yourself included, like trampling a man, like look at us. We're like literally smashing patriarchy. But at the same time, like, are we, you know, because we're playing into the fantasy of this like male fetishist, you know? So in a way it sort of like circles back around on itself. Um, and it, and it just becomes this like joke. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think my aim is to entertain, but to ask questions, um, and to like challenge people's expectations in small ways, you know, like I said, it, the entertainment is still inherent. Like it's still, it's still a fucking rock show. Hell yeah. Yeah. I remember thinking about that myself when I was like, Oh yeah, we're trampling the man, but also like men pay <laughs> women to do this to them. So yeah. Questions? Yeah. I think I wanted to like get away from that aspect of performing for that reason, but also I don't like to repeat myself. Yeah. So I, I feel like, you know, for me, I like to operate in, themes um that are that are relevant like visually or like thematically like to the to the music and, and that was good for a while but we've we've moved on like i don't want to be known as like the trampling band you know so on this last tour that we did we had a a collaborative video that we made with uh some friends and and that our drummer like cobbled together like all this like internet footage um and i felt like that kind of like took the place of like some of my previous like more like really physical performances you know so it's like there's weird shit happening that's projected that's like related to like the music and like some of these other things that we do and i feel like that's sort of like a performance in itself maybe it's a, it's a little bit lazy but you know. no i i was into it. it it wasn't unphysical you definitely moved around quite a bit and uh even pumped some of your breast milk on stage yeah that's true i think you know i i try to top my my personal best it's like you said i've been doing this for like almost 20 years you know 10 plus years seriously but like basically like 20 years so it's just like i yeah i'm not in the same kind of physical shape that i was at 27 obviously <laughs> but i still when i'm on stage think that i am that old and that i can do the things that i used to do but my knees beg to differ and you know definitely like being pregnant and then even like after being pregnant like I had a lot of difficulty uh singing you know it's hard to admit that you're mortal sometimes but just like the just the, the physicality of having all your organs shift and you're like the position of your diaphragm change like I for the first time in my life I was like losing my voice so then I, I had to work like really hard with like um my vo my voice teacher before tour to try to like figure it out and even now like this last show that we did like there was a moment on stage where like I almost lost it again and it just it sucks, you know, yeah. it's really like pushing myself hard. It's, it's kind of like being like a really good athlete or something like that. And then you like, you just become like a fat postal worker or something. <laughs> your, your heyday. So okay. yeah. Speaking of your child, um, you... how's mom, how's mom brain? It's a real thing <laughs> coupled with sleep deprivation. It's cute. I, you know, I feel like I've been practicing for that, like the times that <laughs> yeah, I stay out all yeah. night doing Molly or like acid or whatever, and then I wake up the next day and I feel really dumb. <laughs> so like, I don't know if that's the same thing, but uh, I'm training, I'm training for it. So, <laughs> wow. So you recently became a parent, uh, as we have referenced throughout this interview, and 
you're, uh, I would say, a fairly politically aware person who's like extremely conscious of all the ways in which the world is going to shit. Um, how did you decide you wanted to bring a child into this world? Assuming that this was, I mean, I'm assuming it was a decision. I showed my like coastal elite privilege when I was interviewing uh, Brett from RevLeft Radio a few episodes back when I framed it like it, like I just assumed it was a choice for him. And he was like, oh, no, um, this just kind of happened to me when I was a teenager. But, uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it, uh, it was a choice, but it wasn't. So it was like trying but not trying. Um, mm. But because well, I had had a I had a termination, I think, like four years before that. And then also at. 39 I was of advanced maternal age like I had basically like what's considered a geriatric pregnancy Damn. so I didn't I didn't even think it was possible that's um, a mean thing for them to call it <laughs> so um you're not that old that's that's the medical term for it uh just more things can happen but yeah I, vanity um you know biology I don't know why <laughs> but uh it just yeah it was it was definitely a surprise like I said you know earlier like we were in sort of like a squat and we just thought that we could make it work because it was the two of us and not unlike other living situations that we had had before. We knew that it was temporary, but then when we found out that I was pregnant and I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe someplace where I can like properly wash dishes and have a bath every now and then, like that would be a good idea, you know, where we could like be warm and not wet. Like, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting it's like how your, your needs change, uh, when you have a kid, um, or like your standards, at least for your kid, maybe are like higher than your own. So yeah, totally. So yeah, like mo- most of the time, like I don't want to like, I don't want to cook, uh, but I will for my kid, you know, like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make like little, little snacks and meals. That's nice. Yeah. So, Wow, you recorded Potential Maximizer when you were six months pregnant, and uh, that sounds pretty intense in and of itself, and now you have a living, breathing child. Uh, How has being a parent uh, affected your artistic output and your outlook on the world in general? Yeah, that's a good question. So this last tour was really hard because it was the first time that I was away from my child. So it was like two weeks, and they were with my partner's parents. Um, and that was like a lot of miles. And that was also around the same time that the news of the child internment camps was breaking. So, uh, my level of anxiety was like incredibly high. Um, and then like any, you know, more news about the internment camps would just sort of like set off like my, or like more anxiety, uh, even though that, you know, my separation was voluntary and, uh, temporary <laughs> I, I still I, um, yeah I felt a lot of empathy would you say that it purified your hate <laughs> it definitely yeah made it like a very fine sharp laser of, of, of focused hatred yeah nice nice all yeah. the best hate springs from love I think um, yeah yeah definitely it was also very cool to see you um, do the little routine where you pumped your breast milk on stage at Alphaville because, you know, people always say like, ooh, everyone, they get old and they have kids and they lose their edge. But that was like one of the most punk rock things I'd seen in a while. 
Yeah, it's kind of like in your in your face, like you will <laughs> you will accept this as normal, but but not not even that. It's 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 like recontextualizing. So it's just you know another one of my mos is like erotically confusing. So you're just like, oh yeah, it's uh, oh no, I don't know how I feel about this. I feel really strange about this. And um, and so like the little that I was able to pump at that moment like went to uh, tricky who told me that uh, um, that was not the first time that he drank breast milk. That is fine. So yeah. uh, I also really liked the little uh, sort of business seminar theme you had going. Thanks. You came out like in a headset and a suit. You had a, like a motivational video playing behind you. And it was like kind of a cheesy send up of the like corporate culture. Um, and I want to ask like, in terms of making art that it has sort of a radical mission, like what purpose does humor serve? That's a great question. Um, I think humor makes things a lot more accessible, but in a way, humor kind of exposes sides of the truth that people haven't necessarily considered before, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like a, or maybe like you're able to hear the truth more because you're sort of like in this like relaxed state. Um, I yeah, don't know. Totally. It's, it's like it's like the importance of play. Like that's how we learn, um, especially now. Like for the first few years of our life, you know, it's like you you hear like how important play is. Like it's just it's it seems dumb um, in a way to just like you get parenting advice and people are like, just let your kids play. Like, <laughs> it's really important to play with them. Like, that's how they learn. Like, that's how they experiment. But it's just like, it's true all of our lives, you know? So it's just, it's like, if you're being playful, then I think it sort of like disarms people and then they feel like they can engage more with you. And then when they do that, then, you know, maybe they're, they're opening themselves up to learning a different perspective I feel like it also sort of like, in our case, like offsets a lot of the anger, which can be like, it's not intentional, you know, but I feel like angry women can be off-putting to a lot of people. <laughs> um, no. Uh, yeah. Yeah, totally. I also think it just exposes the absurdity of life in this late capitalist hell world. You know, yeah. When you, when you exaggerate the yeah. things about it that are like absurd or grotesque or whatever that's like a laugh or cry basically yeah yes exactly <laughs> uh, i've talked to a lot of people who think that uh politics and art shouldn't mix and like somehow it's like art exists in this realm this pure realm like outside of the political world and i'm always kind of like oh that must be nice to like ever get a break from that um what what how do you see your role as an artist in our uh modern capitalist white supremacist patriarchal hell world i feel like everybody is performing all the time you know and it's like we're performing for each other especially on social media so it's like we're performing all these different ways that we want to be seen you know it's like so we're trying to perform like these versions of like our best lives online for the benefit of like who like ourselves or like friends or advertisers like i don't know um, and so, uh, like, going to your question, like, yeah, I do feel like there's a hesitancy for people to express sincere beliefs or, or to get political, 
in these like performances or it's like the other way around where it's just like rambling like painfully honest like self-disclosure usually about like trauma or like overcoming some sort of adversity or experiencing some kind of loss um or like identifying like really uh strongly with some sort of like political cause but yeah almost like this unspoken rule of like there, there can't be there can't be like a collision of these worlds like things have to be kept separate yeah my my life is my art and vice versa like I don't know but at the same time like I do maintain a distance like I don't I don't put images of my child's face on social media like I don't I try to maintain some sort of privacy like it's not difficult to figure out who I am or or where I am (laughs) you know but yeah yeah I still get I still get random messages from like trampling fetishists or whatever online like I don't I don't need I don't need to have these people like very close to me in my life or and my partner's um, family doesn't necessarily know like about my like onstage persona or my antics or like my band like they have kind of like an inkling of an idea um you know it's like I, I sent them like the NPR interview you know yeah but uh aside from that there there is a, a separation there's a disconnect like I don't know yeah, I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it. Like, on the one hand, I'm all about connecting with people, as you well know. And uh, since I started doing the Majority Report and then my own podcast, this one, this one right here, um, it's been really cool to connect with all kinds of different people from all over the world who share my politics or identify with something that I said. On the other hand, there's like a lot of horror people out there who just like constantly want to flood me with garbage. And that's, uh, it's like, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of what people, uh, this is like getting a little psychoanalytical, but I think some of what people react to badly in me, as well as in a lot of uh, political artists, because I think it is getting cool to care about stuff a little bit these days, like more than it was, say, 10, 15 years ago. And I think a lot of what people react badly to, and maybe you've got experience with this as well, is that like, uh, I want to be, I'm funny. I try to be funny. I like to be, I like to make jokes. I like to be ironic. Uh, I like to be part of the crew at the same time that I'm also really serious about what I believe in. So like people want to slot me into some thing as I'm just like a shrill social justice warrior. And I'm like, Hey, no, like I care about this shit. And, uh, I like jokes. Like I don't see any conflict there. Again, it's like this rate of the rate of information that's coming at us. It just makes it easier to dismiss the things that you read or to dismiss people, you know, in, in like one take. So just like one image and then you can dismiss them if something is off about how they're, how they're presented in the image or like the accompanying text. Yeah, totally. It's not, it's not really, it's not really about having discussions or connecting. I mean, that's the irony. I think it's like, that is a human impulse for all of us who want to connect with each other and then like to build, community this is not the way to do it i don't think you know and it's and it's like that's that's the reason why we still exist as a band playing physical shows because it's like that impulse is still there like people still want to engage with each other and still like want to gather community like physically like irl like so it's like that's not i don't think that's going to go away anytime soon 
I don't think people so are, either. People are still spending their money on like going out to eat. It's like, yeah, we have Soylent and maybe we can start 3D printing food, but it's, it's not, it's not going away anytime soon. Yeah. Well, maybe we could go out to a 3D printer restaurant. So like, we could like serve ourselves, you know, from the 3D yeah. printer, but we'd still have that nice experience of like being out having a meal. It's probably in the works in like San Francisco, I think, since they've already gotten away. Like, people that were in the service industry can't afford to live there, and a lot of the restaurants are like doing away with having servers because not only can those people not afford to live there, but the restaurants don't want to have to pay them. So it's it's like the same like expensive meal but it's just like counter service now yeah. you know that's like or that's, they sort of like automat places so that you don't have to it's like we've all, we've all gotten internet autism so it's like you don't you can't engage with people in real life you know it's like you can't have like a face-to-face -face interaction with somebody to like order food so you could just go someplace that has a safe touch screen to like further like alienate yeah. each other <laughs> that's like so annoying because like some a technology like that, like post capitalism, could be used for such good things, right? Like right. if no, like nobody has to work that hard to feed themselves, that's fucking great. Like that could be used to free us, but instead it's being used to uh, basically keep from paying people even the uh, low low wages that the bosses were paying before. Yeah, it just all feels really like immediate and like self serving. But at the same time, like, nobody's happy. Like, everybody just has, like, increasing levels of anxiety and, like, PTSD and, you know, like, <laughs> especially, like, younger people in my feeds. Like, it just, nobody seems happy, you know? Yeah. And just, like, a lot of, like, lonely, unhappy, like, younger people that are, like, triggered by, like, everything. Um, Ooh, trigger warning. This is going to be, a, uh, we pissed so many people off already, it's fine. Uh, yeah. I, I agree, like, I feel like the popularity of uh, Lana Del Rey among younger millennial women, like, really speaks to something maybe not so good that's happening right now. As far as what? Uh, just, like, everyone's really sad and depressed and, like, impotent. That's that's kind of how that music makes me feel. It's just, like, yeah. it's like lie down and die music, you know? yeah. Yeah. And like people have tried I mean, to... I like a I like a good wallow as much as the next goth, but <laughs> uh, it's kind of it's something that I that I have been thinking about a lot, especially living in LA when there's so many like self-proclaimed healers um, and a lot of people that are in like recovery programs and like working through things. And you know, it's like I'm a survivor of sexual abuse um, and and other things. Uh, but it's just, it's kind of like, at what point do you stop being like an addict or you stop being like a victim or you stop being whatever and then you're just a person, you know, as cheesy as it sounds, but then like, how do you, how do you pay it forward? You know, it's like you, you fucking like you, you take your hard knocks and then like maybe learn some things from them, hopefully. Um, definitely like a fan of therapy. And then like, maybe you can help other people. I feel like that's the the step that's missing from this this sort of like post Lana Del Rey like pity party pool, you know. It's just like okay, after you've had like a nice wallow and you've like told your story, then like how do you like pull yourself up out out of it and like do something constructive, you know? Like 
work on policy or make art or do something good for somebody other than yourself. Like it's, it's, uh, it just becomes sort of like this echo chamber of sadness. I don't know. Yeah. No, totally. is, that, is that like a lost Harry Potter book? Like the echo chamber of it, sadness? Probably. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Lana Del Rey in the echo chamber it's, of sadness. It's, it's really, it's like, that's a, that's a luxury in and of itself. I mean, I've heard this like uh, sad girl phenomenology kind of framed as like the mode of feminist resistance. Uh, I've read some sort of dubious articles about it where they try to claim uh, sad girls throughout history and say like in a world of, you know, capitalist patriarchy, it can be a form of resistance to refuse to go on living, basically. Uh, and a lot of it that's, centers around self-harm. Yeah, that's like, interesting. I mean... You could say that it is a counter to the wellness movement, which is essentially mm -hmm. just making you like the happiest, healthiest worker that you can be under the guise of sort of like a new agey spiritual, like finding yourself. It's like, because I had this smoothie bowl and I mm -hmm. did like two hours of yoga this morning and then I'm going to go have a colonic and mm -hmm. then I could take, I could take five meetings um, and then I can go have rosé like on a rooftop with my friends and hashtag everything, um, you know. Oh, and, you guys do that in LA? Oh, it's absolutely every day <laughs> for sure. So after my baby plays with like Gwyneth Paltrow's babies, um, we do all that. Oh. But um, yeah, so I can see the sad girl thing just being like, no, I'm not gonna participate. I'm just gonna lay here, but like and waste away in a very delicate, beautiful. Yeah. Like yeah. And, like, I get that, but also, like, that's never going to be enough for me, you know? Like, I want to live, and yeah. if I'm going to stay alive, that means probably fighting and being angry about a lot of this shit, right? And that's sure. what I, like, I mean, that's what I connected to about music growing up, like, angry girl music, whether it was, like, Hole or Bikini Kill or whatever, like, cool music I got into later after I uh, left Connecticut, but, uh, and that's one thing I connect with about your music, too, it's, like, it's got some rage in it. And I was actually talking to my therapist about this, uh, speaking of therapy, uh, around all the Me Too shit and like fucked up things that happened to me when I was younger. And I was like, wow, like I'm angry all over again. And I didn't even realize that I was still angry about a lot of this stuff. And she was like, well, that's probably the most rational, healthy, legitimate reaction to have to something that wasn't your fault that other people did to you. So like, fucking feel the anger, like go for it. I mean, I, I guess I wanted to maybe talk a tiny bit more about like your, uh, your take on capitalism and like how you seek to resist, expose, puncture, whatever, uh, this, this fucking neoliberal hell world that we live in through your art and your music. Well, you know, it's like, I'd like to say that I'm able to make music without it being encased in the trappings of late stage capitalism. But it's, you know, unfortunately, yeah, there's money involved. It costs us money to make music. Um, you know, there was a guy with a small label that like released our music. So then it's like, then like owing him money. Like it sucks. It sucks to have money involved. Like it, it costs money to go on tour um, as, you know, primarily stay at home, parent i don't make cash money staying home and 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 caring for my child so then like the guitar player of our band like makes the most money so he 
you know, put in a large amount of like his money so that we were able to go on tour. It's like, we got to buy tickets and we have to rent a van. And, um, and so then like the money that we make on tour goes back to paying off our bandmate, you know? And, um, it sucks. It sucks to go on tour and like not really have money to eat. And, you know, and it's, it's, uh, to be the front person of a band and to put in like a lot of time and energy and effort into performing and then like not be able to really like eat on tour. It's, it's a little dehumanizing, you know? Um, and I, and I hate having money be a factor in like playing shows, you know, and having to like turn down shows because maybe, you know, it's going to be a really fun show, but there's no money. And we need to make money because we have this like debt to people, you know, and that, that was something that happened in my old band too, where we were just like playing these, these like sponsored shows and it's just, it's gross, you know, but you're like, well, we have to play this alcohol sponsored show because it's a thousand dollars and we have to pay for our practice space and we have to pay for gas and we have to pay for, you know, insurance and the car, you know, and, um, historically like the artist is the last person to get paid but you're doing what you love so isn't that payment enough that's what they always tell me when they try to get me to write stuff for free yeah for sure the reality of like what we have to do to make this work like touring might not be sustainable for us anymore unfortunately like unless we can make some sort of situation work out where like we open for a bigger band and then also like the ickiness of putting your music out as like a product. So like that's the timing that goes into, you know, even on a very small release of ours, like trying to adhere to like sort of like a, a promotional schedule and like these things that seem like the normal thing to do. It's just like, I, yeah, I hate it. So I don't know. Maybe I'll just start making dance music again. I'm mm. sure. Actually, uh, my latest scheme is to DJ kids parties as DJ mom face. So oh yeah, I think that's going to be what I focus on next. That's so good. Yeah. Tell your friends, folks. Yeah, so as we've discussed, the world is kind of uh, terrible right now. Uh, we live in a society that does not value artists the way that it should. Uh, you basically have to take a vow of poverty in order to do what you're doing. Um, and yet you continue doing it, fighting the good fight. Um, what is your current outlook on the future, the world, near future, far future? Etc. I just take it one day at a time. I mean, I can't. Who who can say? You know, like I've never been able to like see that far ahead um, for myself. But I just, yeah, I have to hope that it's it's gonna get better, at least for the sake of my kid. So. Yeah. Well. That's where I'm at. Speaking of which, he's uh, they're they're screaming, so I gotta all right. go. Go for it. Thank you yeah. for doing yeah. this. All right, that was my interview with Nora Singh, a.k.a. Anna Berry, a.k.a. the singer of Hit Bargain. Their debut full-length, Potential Maximizer, is out now. Uh, I strongly recommend you pick it up wherever uh, music albums are sold. You can also stream it at the Hit Bargain uh, Bandcamp page. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the bio. And, uh, yeah signing off. Gonna go to the beach now. 